I heard about a preacher who was known for preaching 22-minute sermons. But one Sunday, he preached for 45 minutes, and the church was puzzled and I dare say a little disappointed. And when he got home that day, his wife asked him, hey, what's the deal? He said, well, it goes like, he said, my trick is I, when I start speaking, I always pop a, a lozenger under my tongue and it takes exactly 22 minutes to dissolve. That's how I know when to stop. He said, but today I was 40 minutes into the sermon before I realized I'd popped a button into my mouth <laughs> instead of a throat lozenger. So I wonder if it's going to be one of those kinds of Sundays. I wonder what's in my mouth today. All right, today we're going to talk about time. Now, we're conscious of time. We spend time, we try to save time, we kill time, we manage time. But one thing we do not do, we do not control time. There is only one who is the Lord of time, and He is God. Now, if you are new to us today, we're in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Now, the interesting thing about this one we're going to study today, the fourth commandment, you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's unique. It's different from the other nine. So in the first three commandments, they're basically about God. And we've already covered those in this sermon series. So we've talked about the sovereignty of God. You shall have no other gods. There's only one true God. He is king. He is sovereign. We've talked about where God said, don't make a carved image of me. And that points to the transcendence of God, how he is different. And to keep my name holy, he says, because God is holy, his name is holy. All right, so the first three commandments, they deal with God. The last six commandments basically deal with us as human beings created in God's image in our interpersonal relationships. The fourth commandment is different in a couple of ways. It's not about who God is. It's not about our interpersonal relationships. It is based strictly on something that God has done. And it applies uniquely to the nation of Israel. And it's the only commandment of the ten that is not repeated in some form in the New Testament. And so we might wonder, well, does this commandment is really have anything to do with me? Is it relevant to me today? Is it applicable to us today? And I believe that it is because God is still the Lord of time. And that means he has the right to tell us what to do with our time. And our, our days are basically structured into seven-day weeks. And this points to that we are to six days of the week. They're, they're common. They're used for work and other things. But one day is to be dedicated to the Lord. And that is still true. So what I want us to see today is that we honor God as the Lord of time in a number of ways, but in at least these two ways. Number one, we honor God as the Lord of time by resting through physical rest. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So the Sabbath day was special. How did it get that name Sabbath? Most scholars believe it comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And Shabbat means to rest from labor, to rest from work. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. The way the Jews reckoned time a day was from sundown to sundown. So Sabbath would have begun at sundown on Friday, Friday night, 
and would have continued until sundown on Saturday, Saturday night. Why did God choose this way in particular, resting as the way to honor the Sabbath and to honor God as Lord of the time? Why resting? It has to do in particular for, by, in, uh, to what God had done for the Israelites. So let's back up a little bit and just think about the context of these Ten Commandments. The Israelites had been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years, slaves in Egypt. God sent Moses to facilitate their deliverance. He sent the ten plagues against Egypt. He parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could pass through on dry ground. Moses led them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And here God says, I'm establishing a covenant with you, an agreement. You will be my people, I will be your God. But as my people, you must live my way according to my law. And these ten commandments are the preamble to God's law. So why did God choose rest as the way to honor this fourth commandment? Because God had delivered the Israelites from their slavery. They could not rest when they were slaves in Egypt, but now they could have a day of rest. This is very specific in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15. God says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, and you know the old saying, whenever you see the word therefore, we ask, what's it there for? It points back to what he just said. Because of this deliverance, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So they are now able to rest, and, but it's a time of worship. It's a physical rest with spiritual overtone. So while they're at home, Observing the Sabbath, they're reflecting, they're meditating on what God had done for them. I want us to picture this from the Jewish context. I mean, this, this became one of the markers of their identity for centuries. In the movie Fiddler on the Roof, the musical Fiddler on the Roof, it concerns a Jewish family around 1904. They live in Russia in a Jewish village. One of the scenes in that movie depicts this family. Tevya's the father and his wife. They're five daughters. They've got a couple of male guests there, kind of interested in the daughters. And Sabbath day comes. And as Sunset Friday approaches, they all gather around the table for the meal. And they're going to begin Sabbath observance. And the parents are pronouncing blessings on their children and their daughters, the biblical blessings. Now it's a musical, so it's portrayed as a song. It's a beautiful duet that's sung between the mom and the dad. I think it's the most beautiful scene in the whole movie. I'm going to show you a clip here. Maybe you're not into musicals, but I am. I get to pick the movies. All right, so let's show this. And I just want to get a feel for the Jewish observance of the Sabbath.
I like the way toward the end they pull back and see not just this family, but it's an entire Jewish village, and they're all kind of doing the same things, bound together by that tradition, part of their identity. Some of you as young children, I want you to sing to each other at your meal tonight, like they were doing right there. Okay, so that's why they observe Sabbath, by resting. That's the significance behind that. Why the seventh day instead of the second day or Thursday? Why the seventh day? It is because God rested on the seventh day. Genesis 2-2, by the seventh day, God completed his work and he rested. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested. So God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day, so he chose the seventh day. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So it's a physical rest, but it has spiritual overtones. When they were in their homes, they'd be thinking about, reflecting on, meditating on what God had done for them. Now, the simple application I want to draw right here is that physical rest is good for us. We all need to rest physically, and that needs to be said. I tell you, you should see my view sometimes of the congregation when I'm preaching. My view, I can tell there's a lot of sleep-deprived people out there. I can tell. And that may say as much about me as it does about you. But I want to read something from Trish Warren in her book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. She, she writes about sleep and rest. Our sleep habits both reveal and shape our loves. A decent indicator of what we love is that for which we willingly give up sleep. We love our kids, so we sacrifice sleep for them to nurse a baby or give comfort after a nightmare. We love our spouses and close friends, so we might stay up late to keep a good conversation going a bit longer. Or we might rise early to pray and take a friend to the airport, but our willingness to sacrifice sleep also reveals less noble loves. We stay up later than we should, drowsy, collapsed on the couch, vaguely surfing the internet, watching cute puppy videos. Or we stay up trying to squeeze more activity into the day, to pack it with as much productivity as possible. Our disordered sleep sometimes reveals a disordered love, idols of entertainment or productivity. In the nitty-gritty of our daily lives, repentance for idolatry may look as pedestrian as shutting off the email an hour earlier. The truth is we are often far more likely to give up sleep for entertainment than for prayer. When I turn on Hulu late at night, I don't consciously think I value this episode of Parks and Rec more than my family, more than prayer, more than my body. But my habits reveal and shape what I love and what I value, whether I care to admit it or not. What if Christians were known as a countercultural community of the well-rested? People who embrace our limits with zest and even joy. As believers, we can relish sleep as not only necessary, but as an embodied response to the truth of Scripture that we are finite, weak creatures who are abundantly cared for by our strong and loving Creator. There's a great benefit to resting. John Mark Homer writes, God rested, and in doing so, he built a rhythm into the DNA of creation. Now, having said all of that, uh, some, one might choose to have a, a Sabbath day during the week in which they totally rest. I don't have a problem with that. There may be many benefits to that. But I'm just going to add as a sidebar, a parenthesis here. 
that as good as this might be, it is not a requirement of Christians. It's not a requirement. It's not a commandment of Christians any longer to observe the Sabbath. I received anonymously in the mail this past week a brochure on Sabbath keeping from, it was written by a Seventh-day Adventist author. Seventh-day Adventists believe that we should still be keeping the Sabbath, and they believe that worshiping on Sunday, like we're all doing right now, is the mark of the beast in Revelation. So somebody sent me that little booklet, and they had some scriptures in there. But they did not have this scripture, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So it is not the case that we, as Christians, are bound to keep a Sabbath. That's just a parenthesis, though. My main thrust right here is how beneficial it is to rest and that God wants us to get adequate rest. All right, secondly, just two points today. We honor God as the Lord of time by resting spiritually, resting spiritually. So our day, our day that we set aside as special to the Lord as Christians is what day? Sunday, we're all here. It's it's Sunday. So why Sunday instead of Saturday? Sunday is the first day of the week not the seventh day of the week. Now, we call it the Lord's Day because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And most scholars believe that he is referring to Sunday and not Saturday. So the Christians began worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Luke writes, On Sunday, we all met together to eat the Lord's Supper. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul writes, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside as he may prosper. A transition took place in the days of the early church from Saturday to Sunday. Now, early on, many of the new Christians worshipped on both days, Saturday and Sunday. Eventually, most just Sunday. Now, why do you suppose that that happened? Why would the Christians transition from Saturday worship, seventh day of the week, to Sunday worship, first day of the week? Any guess why first day? Yes, because of the resurrection, and the resurrection took place on Sunday, the first day of the week. All the gospel writers record this. Let me put these verses before you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. He goes on to write about the resurrection. Mark 16, 2. Very early on the first day of the week. Luke 24, 1. On the first day of the week. At early dawn, resurrection. John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week. Pentecost, the day that the church was born. We read about this in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost was on Sunday, the first day of the week. That's when the church was born. In fact, this is one of the primary reasons one of them, among many, why we believe the resurrection of Jesus is historical and actually took place is because of this huge transition from Saturday to Sunday. Do you realize that for the first 10 years of the church's history, there were only Jewish converts to Christianity? There were no non-Jews who were being converted. When you read in the book of Acts, Acts chapters 1 through 10, the first 10 chapters of those 28 chapters, 
there are only Jewish converts until we get to chapter 10 and the first Gentile convert to Christianity 10 years into the church whose name was what? Cornelius, whose name was Cornelius, the Roman centurion, Acts chapter 10. So the reason I belabor that is because these were Jewish Christians and yet they began worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week. That's how powerful the impact of the resurrection of Jesus was. You saw that this was a tradition that united the nation of Israel, Sabbath worship, and yet they transitioned because of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is significant for two reasons. Number one, it establishes a new covenant between God and his people. Old covenant, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. God says, you're going to keep my law. I will be your God. Old covenant. New covenant. Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the grave. Now there's a New Testament or a new covenant between God and his people that's based upon the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The second significance of that resurrection is a new creation. Christ is the firstborn of many who are going to rise from the grave. God is creating, making all things new. That has already begun. It's been inaugurated by the resurrection of Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. New things have come. So what we do on Sunday is to celebrate the resurrection and its significance. We have rest, but it's not a rest from work as Christians. It's a rest from worry. Worry about death and damnation. Because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, death and his resurrection, we no longer have to fear death and we do not fear condemnation. We rest upon the promises of God's word of redemption. We used to sing a song, only trust him. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him. And the way we celebrate that is by congregating together on the first day for corporate worship. I trust we're all worshiping individually the other six days of the week. I am. I know most of you do as well. But we come together on Sunday to worship in an assembly, in corporate group worship. As the Hebrew writer says, we are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Now, I know that being a Christian is more than going to church. Somebody said, you don't become a car because you walk in and out of a garage. And you're not a Christian just because you go to a church service and come out. And I get that. I get that. But I, while it is more than going to church, it is not less than coming together with the church and worshiping every Lord's Day. That is the apostolic precedent that we read about. What the early church did in the Scriptures the reason that God gave us the apostles is so that they could order the church, organize the church, and the apostles teach the church and show us the way, and this is the precedent that they have set. And so we all come together. It becomes a non-negotiable in our lives. As Christians, we're going to honor God as the Lord of time by coming together with other Christians on Sunday. 
to read Scripture, to pray, to hear the apostles' doctrine, and to have the Lord's Supper. I read this recently from the Voice of the Martyrs. Every time Mauricio and Dina travel to a nearby village for church, they know it could be their last time. Yet they're convinced that the Lord has called them to worship in the Colombian red zone where they live. To go to the church, which is outside their village, Mauricio and Dina must get permission to leave from the paramilitary and then get permission to enter the other village. If caught trying to leave without permission, they could be sent home and even killed. To avoid drawing too much attention to themselves, they travel in the back of a large truck that looks like a military transport vehicle. They cram into the back with more than a dozen other people, as well as sacks of grain and chickens. Transportation isn't the only danger they face. While worshiping in a church service, Mauricio and Dina were caught in a shootout. Mauricio said, we had to lie flat on the floor because bullets were passing over our heads. But despite the danger, they have an eternal perspective. Yes, we are afraid, but we do it. We get in where we are supposed to be, and we worship Jesus. We are where we are supposed to be today. If they can do that, we can do this. I want to read you a final quote from Trish Warren. She says, we need a ritual and a routine to learn to fall asleep. Infants learn by habit over time how to cease fighting sleepiness. We used to call it book, bed, and bath time, or book, bath time, and bed. And without a ritual and a routine, they become hyperactive and often exhibit behavioral problems, and adults aren't much different. This is our ritual where we enter into spiritual rest, coming together and worshiping and observing the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going to do at this time. We're going to transition here into the observance of the Lord's Supper. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, as Jesus established what we're about to do right now at the Passover meal, He said this, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. When we have this time, and we're having a time of meditation and reflecting, we can reflect on the fact that this is not something we need to do. But we are celebrating something that's already been done for us. Jesus has already accomplished our worship. It's all done and completed. Let's think about that today as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would forgive us when we reject you in the way that we order our lives, when we treat Sunday as just another work or leisure day. We trust you as our creator and submit to your authority. We believe your resurrection power is working in and through us, and we are grateful for the fellowship that we have among unbelievers the joy and the comfort of coming together to worship on this, the Lord's day. And we remember you and rest in your promises and in your mighty work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.